Welcome to the Prickly Couch podcast where three mujeres have real conversations. We'll share our stories and talk about wellness, familias, work, and everything in between in our experiences as Latina women. Hi, y'all. Welcome to our new episode of the Prickly Couch. These are your hosts, Gabby Hurtado. And today we have um, Jasmine Mavrikis, who is our friend and works with us also at our practice. She's a registered dietitian and she focuses on um, eating disorder recovery and helping folks reach their best selves, um, connect with food in a way that feels good and enjoy movement. Um, so welcome, Jasmine. Is there anything um, that we want to start with? Do we want to do check-ins first? Oh, yeah. Um, do we want to do check-ins? Sure. So um, how's everybody doing today, this week? <laughs> it's been two weeks since our last episode, so. Add in. You want to go? Give it a shot? Yes. My dog um, ruined two plants today at different points oh. in time. And there was soil everywhere. So that's how my day was going, cleaning up after my puppy. I love my puppy, so it's fine. But he's wild. He's wild. He's a puppy. And yeah. he's getting bigger. Oh, yeah. He is 30 pounds. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. And he's still a puppy. He's about to be four months. It's crazy. Yeah. He's going to be big. He's going to yeah. be big. He's going to be big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. And the... So I wanted a big dog because I wanted a dog to cuddle with and he doesn't like cuddling. <laughs> Every time that I get close to him or I guess hug him, he growls because he doesn't like cuddling. He can lay on me, but as soon as I wrap my arm around him, he- Do not touch me. Nope. Oh. He's like, go away. <laughs> Go away, I'm gonna ruin your plants. <laughs> He's like, no, just like, yeah, just like kids, you have no control. Yep. <laughs> and then decide what he wants. Oh, no. But how are y'all doing? Oh my god. How are you doing? Pregnant, still <laughs> tired. Very pregnant. Um, very pregnant, tired, and but I think all in all, good. I'm, I'm in good spirits. Um, I think today it started a little rough for me, but or this week, but I feel like I'm trying to slow down, take naps when I can. Um, and I've been drinking hot chocolate for some reason. I'm really craving it. <clears throat> and that's been really helpful in keeping me very chill, but with a little bit of energy. So is this chocolate abuelita? 100, you know. Yes. <laughs> yes. 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 So I can which on. Gabby brought to the office last year the individual packets. You know, Sally, I get the make yeah. them. They have them, yeah. Do yeah. they taste the same? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We might have some in the office whenever we open back up again. Yeah, I like to bring it for the winter. I mean, I bring it for myself because it's like such a soothing thing, <laughs> especially like late at night. I don't want to be drinking coffee, so I put chocolate. And that just gives me a little bit of energy. And yeah, I enjoy it. So Things are good, moving along. <clears throat> yeah, I feel like um, 
that uh, this week my I had we had one full week with the boys in school and I have felt lighter like I am like actually watching shows and laughing <laughs> it sounds pretty bad but laugh again <laughs> but I can laugh again <laughs> I have like energy like not like I'm not like it's, I'm still recovering like I had like a shock to my system my anxiety spikes like I was having PTSD symptoms at the early part of last week I think just like the shock from having the boys in school and so then that wore off and then like now I'm starting to settle in again um and I'm like oh I can you know watch a movie at night when they go to bed and it's just it's more spaciousness like I do feel better like I can and being a little bit more giggly and we had a good weekend and and Santi had his birthday and you know it just feels a little bit better despite everything right despite still in a pandemic despite all of the things um I feel a little bit more um, yeah like I have a little bit more bandwidth which is nice I'm like I feel like my poor neighbors probably think I'm like the angriest Latina I'm just like walking around like fuck everybody <laughs> They're like, she's a therapist. <laughs> <clears throat> they got the worst of me. They don't they see me at the end of the day where I'm just like, F you all, don't say a damn word to me. But I'm feeling better now. <laughs> yeah. His dirt bike, Santi's dirt bike looks so cool. Oh my gosh. They did these dirt biking, yes me, where they um we took him to the dirt biking place for his fifth birthday. And they had training wheels on the dirt bikes. And so um, it's a shout out to Little Speedsters here in South Austin. And so they had these training, big old training wheels on the dirt bikes. So they like, like legit dirt bike. He was like, hey. and he was so excited. He had so much fun. It was, do they have it for adults? They do. Okay. Yeah, you can take classes as an adult. Well, I told, I think we're going to do a date. Well, eventually when we do dates again, do a date night and go do a, go do a class. Awesome. they have a cool little track he even got out on the track and everything he was like ready the guy kept on having to tell him to stop slow down because he was like cutting it and like <laughs> did y'all hear uh, the opening the circuit of americas on tuesday nights for like open biking like you can just bring your bike and they're gonna play music and you can just like bike around the circuit oh that's that's cool, cool. Yeah. what's that no i didn't know that yeah, I think it's only this Tuesday and next Tuesday. And you can bike on the, like, racetrack? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they would love that. Okay, I'm going to check it out. All awesome things. Yay. Yeah, so we did that. That was fun. How are you? How are you doing? Good. For today? I'm feeling like it's Friday, and then I remember that it's Monday, because I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on Zoom to my friends. <laughs> needed um and I got a massage and just spent a lot of time outside and the weather was really awesome this weekend in Austin um just in general and I'm doing all right I'm tired um and I'm okay so you took the day off sorry you took the day off today I I took Friday off 
Oh, you took Friday out. Okay. You know how Monday always feels after a three-day weekend? Yeah. Like, um, That's how you're feeling. <laughs> and then, like, you just cram all your week into four days anyway. But it's still the idea of, like, having a day off is nice. So I want to do that more often. But I just had a big bowl of curry that I made. Um, so I hope I don't get heartburn during the call, but I'm doing good. <laughs> Did you make it hot? Um, not too hot, but I made it with coconut milk and sometimes that gives, gives me some heartburn. When I, I used a Thai recipe. When I went to Thailand, I would have heartburn every single night and I'm not one to usually get heartburn except for when I have tired <laughs> and I would just be like, I don't care. It's so delicious. Like I'll just take it heartburn and then go to bed. <laughs> oh my God. I can't sleep with heartburn. Yeah. Oh, I got the worst heartburn at my end of my pregnancies. Abby, how are you doing? Are you doing, are you getting bad heartburn? Yes. So uncomfortable. You can see it, but behind me is my nightstand and I have like a massive bottle of pumps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I guess, you're almost there, Gabby. Hang in there. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, right? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad that you're all here, that we're all doing well, or as well as we can be during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the topic that we had thought about today, we kind of left it kind of open, um, right? Of this idea of nutrition and how that connects to our community. Um, and I know we have like a ton of ideas of the different things we want to talk about today. Um, so, well, we can start with with yeah with yes yes. Now we see Jasmine, but Jasmine, yes, start with you. Find yeah. who you are and a little bit about yeah. your background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of people are always like asking me how to pronounce my name, but my parents don't even agree on how to pronounce my name, so. <laughs> Jasmine, Yasmine, Yasmin, etc. all work because I don't know. I don't I don't really know <laughs> what it's supposed to be. Um, let's see. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about um, a little bit about food and nutrition with the holiday season coming up. I think that this is something that is often, especially in Rasta Cultura, like it's so talked about with a lot of love but also with a lot of shame at the same time so a lot of like mixed messaging on it and I think that can get really confusing and exhausting and honestly just kind of unnecessary um to have such conflict about you know something so simple like you know cafe abuelita or not cafe chocolate um something that's just like warming your soul and um I think food can be a lot more than just the nutrients that it gives us, right? Um, so just like I was saying with the Thai curry that I make, it reminds me of my time in Thailand and it reminds me of those positive memories. And so even though sometimes we make food decisions that aren't aligned completely with how we, we're going to feel physically, um, that doesn't mean that it still wasn't a good or I shouldn't even say good, a decision that aligned with what we wanted or aligned with our values. Um, so just that as an example, but I think it's so interesting. I'm sure all of y'all can share stories of like how food has been interwoven in our families and our cultures and our memories. Um, 
and been, of course, a source of like nourishment and satisfaction and nutrients, but often it's a lot more than that. Um, and even I think about like how it can be sometimes the same thing, right? Like sometimes food and memories they, that gets placed on like a pedestal where we're thinking like, oh, I can't wait to have this flan that I have every Christmas and it's like amazing. And we almost like elevate certain foods over the time or memories spent with our families, right? Where it's like the whole time we're just hyper-focused perhaps on that. Um, I think that can potentially be a side effect of restriction and different things. Um, but I think there's kind of that balance, right? Of not putting nutrients and nutrition on a pedestal and not putting um, the like, not putting the food itself on a pedestal. Um, Cause either way we're starting to like blur what the holidays are about or what the memories are about. Um, so yeah, I was thinking we could just chat about that. And I wanna hear y'all's experiences too of, you know, how that might've played a role in, in y'all's upbringing and your lives currently. You remind me so much about some of the conversations that we've had about, um, you know, people trying to get ready for the holidays, mm. um, whatever that means, right? And so it's like a lot of people is like worried about, okay, now I'm going to see my entire family and I need to look a certain way. Like mm. it can't be that they see me and I've gained weight. It can't be that they see me and I look different than last time they saw me. Um, and I think with not only clients that we see, but I think in, in the community, there's a lot of pressure um, for that. And so I see a lot of people dieting right before or saying like, mm-hmm. I need to be really good for this time of the year because you know, yeah. is coming and then we have Thanksgiving and then we have the holidays. So I'm gonna really starve. I'm gonna restrict extremely. I'm gonna super exercise um, to show up and be able to eat whatever I want because I've earned it. Mm-hmm. And then like, right, there's a lot of, I think even it being hard to connect with the food and the taste and the things that you really enjoy and be like even present in conversation. Mm-hmm. And then the holidays pass and it's again, this wave of restriction of this time this year, I will look this way. Usually like I look the same than when I was 15 or 16, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when people are like 25, 28, 30 plus years old. Sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I, I hear it like um, that that point of like, pues voy a ver mi mamá por la primera vez en meses, especially now during COVID, right? And everyone's joking about like the COVID-15 and how our bodies have changed during COVID, right? And just like that fear of like, I know that the social pressure, especially for Latina bodies, for um for women's bodies to stay a certain size their entire lives, like that's realistic, but oh, that's the pressures that our familias and our, um, that put on us. So legit anxiety, legit fear that you're already starting to worry about seeing folks that, you know, that one tia that you haven't seen, but always makes a comment on, you know, on your body. Um, and so I hear, I heard that a lot, a lot of worries and, um, worries about possibly triggering disordered eating, right? If they're in recovery from disordered eating. Um, I think uh, also for me personally, I think that that might part of what comes up. Here in the US, we have like the holiday party 
um, tradition. I don't know if y'all do this in Mexico, Gabby, but it's like a big time here. Like my mom's business would like, they give away like TVs and shit during their holiday parties. <laughs> like, it's like, we do something like that, but it's like uh, posadas. Yeah, 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 yeah. So here it's like holiday parties. So people and the people go like, it's like a freaking gala. People go all out. My mom would get like her nice vestidos and like it's super, it was super nice for her to experience because she didn't grow up doing that. But like, you know, so there's those pressures. You're and you're supposed to dress up and, you know, um, for me, it's Halloween. I got to fit into my Halloween costume. No, I'm just kidding. But that's one of the things is like Halloween. Right, people are like I feel like I need to fit in my Halloween costume because we set we sexify Halloween here too. Like even Halloween is sexualized, and so Halloween is like where people can start getting ready for that holiday, right? And feeling like we have to have our bodies look a certain way, right? And and those ideas of like we should look a certain way to be able to fit into that costume or fit into that dress or um, are real. Mm-hmm. And I like how you both uh, mentioned that it's not just looking thin, it's like meeting the, re- the expectations of a certain body type. Because if you show up and see your family members and you look um, more than what they expect you to look like, then there's a comment there. And if you look less than what you they expect you to look like then there's a comment there mm. and then there are experiences where you go show up maybe you haven't changed that much but your cousin next to you is the one getting those comments mm-hmm. so it's kind of it's difficult and you go um, to your family gatherings or your social gatherings and you we have the holidays and then it's over and then it's the next holiday so it's a kind of a uh, routine that it's never ending for, for us and for Latina women who have this certain specific body type that they have to fit in. Yeah, that's true. The point, you're too flaquita, yeah. right? You're too flaquita. <laughs> yeah, and then it's almost this like, oh, you're too flaquita, pero dime, ¿qué estás haciendo? Like, tell me what you're doing. Tell me mm. your secrets. But at the same time, like I knew a family member who was recovering from an eating disorder and her and I were the only ones that knew at at the family dinner and all that. Um, But I had, you know, she was recovering and she had family members asking what her secret was, how, you know, and she was just like, you know, if you only knew, right? If you only knew what I've had to go through and what I'm trying to overcome, how sad, right? And these are Theos that are twice her age that have had kids that shouldn't, you know, the expectations of, um, and this is a conversation I've had, right, with a lot of the women in my family who have had kids or who haven't, right? Is what is, you know, the expectation of um, like me trying to explain to them, hey, I'm probably going to look similar to you when I have kids, right? I'm probably we have the same genes, right? What we eat doesn't really make that much of a difference on our body size and our body shape and type, which is um, really confusing to, you know, a lot of my family is like, I thought you're a dietitian. I thought you're going to tell me how to eat. But in the reality, like, we know that's just an endless cycle. Like you guys said, there's always a holiday. We can't like fight our genetics and fight our DNA. Um, 
it's sad when you know that's just so obviously diet cultures and all cultures but I feel like especially in, in our culture as Latinas it's it's really really interwoven um but it's it's interwoven in a way where it's almost like like right that shame but then that oh well celebrate with food at the same time um so I can't really think of another like <clears throat> another not substance or experience that like people feel such guilt for and it's almost I guess I could say like alcohol would be the only other. Oh, I was thinking yeah, yeah. alcohol where it's where more mourned and celebrated right. where people can have like guilt about how much they drink but also enjoyment of it but the difference is like we need food like it's a fundamental human need versus alcohol is you know an mm -hmm. extra thing um we need food and so to think okay I don't need this food that my body's asking me for um because and I know we're only we've only been talking about restriction right I know there's different sides to it um but that's often what, what we hear a lot of um, well, I think because this culture in the U.S. right and in other countries you know it's very fat phobic right and it's like what you said, it's like um, our bodies can't change. Um, and it's like, and you're shamed and it's looked down upon and it's like, um, it's normalized. Like the idea that you can control your body by completely what you eat is so normalized. Right? So that's like, you saying that is so radical and I can imagine some people listening to this are like whoa wait pause brain <laughs> like, yeah because we're not told that right we're told you diet you exercise you do all the things um so that your body you control what your body looks like right um and it's yeah. not really case why would our generations after generations right continue to do the same thing if, if the answer if we really could truly control what our bodies look like why are we still going on a new diet every christmas gathering you know why are family members and this goes i shouldn't just say like the cs like this goes equally for um for everyone in our families right um oh yeah and so it's just it's the same thing um but it's just that cycle. And that was one of the first things I remember learning as a dietitian is how many holidays there are all <laughs> around food. Like I remember thinking, okay, the holiday season and New Year's is always the busiest when you're first starting out as a dietitian because that's when everybody wants to talk about food. But then there's Super Bowl season is a few weeks after New Year's and then Valentine's Day. And then there's Mardi Gras and St. Patrick's Day and Spring Day and Labor Day weekend. Yeah, and those are coming up. Easter, chocolates, etc. The Fourth of July, like there's every three to four weeks. Like these mainstream holidays. Yeah, yeah, and all of them revolve around different specific types of food, mm -hmm. um, like Super Bowl, right? You think of wings or Mardi Gras. You think of like the Mardi Gras, the cake, right? And those don't really maybe have a lot of significance. And they're probably foods you can have year round, but they kind of get placed on this pedestal ahead of time. And again, like you were saying, Gabby, potentially a building up of that, oh, I really need to work off this meal I'm gonna have. I really need to make sure I 
do X, Y, Z and don't have enough to eat. And then it becomes that, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy where we're underfed, undernourished, maybe not even just that day, but for weeks to come leading up to that event. And then, yeah, our bodies do lose control because that's a life-saving mechanism that our human bodies have. And I'm glad that, you know, you, you brought up the point of we can control what we eat and that is not going to change necessarily the way that we look. Yeah. And the other side is like, you can exercise and you can eat a certain way. And that's not, that might not change the way that you look like. Mm-hmm. I think for a lot of people, um, I know for me, when I learned that, I was like, wait, so you're telling me that if I exercise X amounts of days in like this hardcore, I think at that point I was doing hit training, something crazy. Mm-hmm. That you'll never see me do again. Uh, and <laughs> never again. Just, I don't know if um, and I was like, you're telling me that I can do this and I can be eating in this particular way and I'm going to look the same. Like, I just, I didn't understand that. And I can understand now how, for people, that is a, such a radical idea. And yes. I'm thinking, for example, Labor Day and Memorial Day weekend. <clears throat> It's a time too that people wear a lot of bikinis and bathing suits. You know, it's summertime. And there is a lot of criticism about what you're gonna wear, how you're gonna look, Instagram, putting your body out there, Facebook, mm-hmm. right? And getting all those likes or not, or getting comments uh, from other people. Um, I don't know, I just remember getting to the States and thinking that was something super strange because I've never seen that before um I mean I can go on and on about my the culture from my hometown which is super interesting but um sorry to anybody that is listening that's from back home uh <laughs> but I get a lot of shit for that but um but it wasn't about around those holidays mm-hmm. for us it was more about like um very tied up to social events so it was like the different balls and debutantes and quinceañeras and weddings mm-hmm. um, that you had to look a particular way because you have to get your hair done and have the perfect dress and um, people will see you and that means who you're going to marry, who you're going to be, what social circle you're going to land. You have to look a certain way. So um, people exercise and eat in a way that is like really intense to be able to preserve that image to the I think detriment of a lot of stuff. I'm glad that you brought up the quinceanera because that's something I hear often with some of the families I work with and some you know adolescents is I remember when I had a quinceanera I felt like I was very old like I (laughs) I thought I was an adult (laughs) woman but yeah you were being told you were right (laughs) um but the messages and I I think back and I realized wow I was literally planning this quinceanera I was 14 years old and I hear some of my my clients and they'll say you know like this is something I'll hear these desires whether it's from parents or adolescents whether my clients or even just family members of you know, I have to fit in this dress. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, 14. Like, and of course, even younger than that sometimes. Um, but to really think back of like, 
yeah, I remember when I had a quinceanera and all my friends were talking about, you know, their dresses and what they were going to wear and all this pressure of an image. Um, I remember homecoming and prom, right? The same kind of things. Okay, we're going to do this workout plan. We're going to go eat this way. And that's just like the seeds, right? Getting planted and it just kind of grows and grows. Um, and even like going to school to become a dietitian, right? Like you said, Gabby, like that moment you realized, oh, this is all bullshit. <laughs> like, what? And for me, it was 10 times amplified more difficult to, because I had already graduated in a degree in nutritional sciences. I'd already sat for my boards, did my internship, became a dietitian, and everything was rooted in this fat phobic weight stigmatizing mm -hmm. education. Um, my education was amazing in so many other ways, but there was those seeds planted throughout um, that, yeah, all you need, the answer is you just need a dietitian and that's what'll get you that weight loss. The reason we have, you know, they taught us in school, 95% of diets, you know, fail. People aren't able to keep weight off 95, 99% of the time. We're here sitting like, okay, well, what are we doing here then? Why are we learning this? And we're like, oh, maybe because that 1%, 5%, that's going to be us, right? We're going to be, but no. If only you're good enough. Right. right. If you have a really good dietitian, really good. And then you become a dietitian, you're like, wait, it's still 5%. It's still 1%. What's going on here? You're like, it's the clients. No, maybe not. <laughs> it's the whole, the whole, the whole fucking approach. It's just the human body, right? Just once again, fighting for that equilibrium, fighting the, to maintain life. Um, I'm sure, Gabby, there's so many cool things going on in your body right now that, you know, might be kind of annoying. <laughs> but, and even after, right, you give birth, there's been so many cool things happening, but your body's, you know, hormonally just maintains equilibrium and it really changes yeah. it really changes and there's an expectation though like a j-lo or like a whoever that cardi b that your body's gonna get back right that your body's gonna have the same exact shape as it did before you had children right a pretty fucked up situation yeah. the no excuses mentality and i'm like no excuses or like yeah. We have yeah. surgery and personal chefs and trainers and like that's their full-time job right like, is uh -huh. to have an image mm -hmm. um and i think it's interesting genetics play a role too right of why certain oh, yeah yeah why yeah. we have you know certain um i think of like oprah and all that people talk about our weight and then people talk about jayla and shakira all day in their weight and it's like there's a reason why these celebrities keep looking the same. It, maybe there's a genetic component here. Yeah, and <laughs> some of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, no Oprah bought Weight Watchers. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm glad yeah. that you, you're bringing up that because I think that a lot of our moms, right, grew up with different brands that I don't know we can say in the podcast, but like different brands of different products that were healthy um that were designed to do weight loss a lot of our moms may have been you know selling these products um mm -hmm. or buying these products from their friend that you know got sucked into this pyramid scheme and needed to sell like three voltes mm -hmm. of like you know this this mix that you're putting with water that you drink in the morning and i remember like 
um, very early on, for example, my mom doing that, like very early on seeing her um, take these different shakes and pills and all the shebang um, to be able to um, keep a certain weight on because she had been a high performance athlete her whole life and then she had kids and she wasn't exercising at the same level so her body changed and she wanted to always get back to that um and so i think that also plays a big part of it right seeing everybody around us constantly engaging in these different programs and different diets and um commentary about other people's body and how as latinas we internalize that that there's something wrong about the way that we look or if our appetite changes um, or our body changes in any, in any way, um, then there's something wrong. There's something that we need to change. And there's all this money and things that we need to be investing on um, in order to change them. It felt, uh, my experience has been that um, like, because I, I am still unpacking all my shit in this area, right? And because I have inhabit a smaller body, right? I'm 4'11", I'm petite. <clears throat> um, but when I have fluctuated in weight and I have thyroid issues, right? So I fluctuate um, uh, depending on how my health is generally, right? Um, but I have felt as an adult, like now that my body will stay a certain size and not fluctuate as extreme, um, like the disdain for fat people. fat people. Again, I'm not in a fat body, but when I get bigger body, dude, like, like it's like deep. Like people are just like, I've had like family like be disgusted by me, making comments about a plate that I'm making, right? Cause, and like, like you can feel the disgust. And I'm like, I'm literally feeding myself. And again, I'm small bodied, right? And for them, I've come a big extreme, of course, because they're thinking my 16 year old self, right? That they still expect me to still inhabit that body as a 16 year old now as a grown ass mom with two kids. But that like, you know what I mean? That that like image that they have. And for me, it's my family of origin, Panama, because they don't see me as often, mm -hmm. right? So they, for whatever reason, will have um, time stamped of like when for some of them it's when I was uh, little when I was four and my dad took me and they still me habla como una muñeca they still say oh you're a muñeca and da, 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 right so they still have that vision of me in their heads for some of them it's teenage me you know like some of them it's my wedding we had our wedding there in Panama it's wedding me but it's not current me right it's like like this is me as an adult right and it's so hot and that like fat phobia is so um, embedded and it's deep and that like it hurts it hurts when you're you know when you when you feel that from especially people who are supposed to love you right and so I wonder of if y'all can talk more about like yes in our familias we feel it but también in the medical profession like y'all just talked about like how much it's embedded in the medical profession so that even when you go to doctors, BMI, uh, you know, I hear so many times, you've got to lose weight, right? Before X, Y, and Z, right? I hear that from people I love that I know are diabetic and they're like, you have to lose weight. It's like, 
you're just in a bigger body, Qingdao, right? There has to be other ways that you can manage this, right? So if y'all can talk more about how también we see it show up in the medical profession. I think for that, for me, that's been profound as I've worked with y'all and learned more about, about that piece. Um, one thing that, I mean, I feel comfortable saying in this space is that um, as a psychologist, I received a lot of way-centric training um, when I started working with medical professionals as a professional. Right. So I came into this, maybe it's a little bit good to give a background, but my family, they're a lot of them are medical professionals. And so um, so I had interacted with that side in person, interpersonally, but never as a professional that I came to the States. And uh, a lot of our training is weight centric. Right. Even if you're thinking about treating depression, a lot of you like, oh, the connection between food and mood thinking you have to be really active and be eating right in order to have right energy and not be depressed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I, I moving to eating disorders and Jasmine, I know that you had your own experience with this, but there's some points that we probably have seen similarly, um, where sometimes the progress, you know, that how we were measuring progress in some of the places I worked, um, when I started this, uh, focus on my career was measuring progress, for example, with some patients, especially patients that were lifting larger bodies on how much weight, what had they been losing? Um, as a measure of progress from being cheating disorder. Um, mm -hmm. Or like, uh, there was a lot of focus on compliance on meal plans, um, very rigid meal plans sometimes. Um, and so we were moving from, you know, pushing folks that were in struggling with anorexia and starvation and um, malnourishment to do all these things that we would never prescribe for people in larger bodies that we were not prescribed for them, right? That we we're trying to move them away. And we were comfortably prescribed that for people in larger bodies. And that was really disturbing. Um, and then I think, you know, seeing that constantly with clients and then um, personally, especially right now that I'm pregnant, um, one of the first things the doctor told me, so I'm going in for my first appointment. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. You know, let's get ready. Um, I never like knowing my weight, so I always ask them not to. Um, and so she's like, oh, you've gained X amount of pounds since I last saw you. I'm like, okay. She's like, this is not going to be healthy for your pregnancy. So like, you need to lose. And I'm like, are you asking me to lose weight while I'm trying to grade a human right now? Because like, that doesn't seem medically sound. But um, the other thing is like, I don't even know how you go about controlling the amount of weight that you gain during pregnancy. Like that is really a wild That's idea. That's the thing, it's so fucked up. And it's so, so I, but you know, I think at that moment I felt like I felt empowered to say, no, I'm not doing that. And I don't wanna be talking about diet. So please don't bring it up and put that on my chart because I don't wanna have this conversation. Yeah. But I think if you had asked me that two years ago, I wouldn't have felt comfortable saying that to another yeah. professional because of the way that they would see me, right? Is she a psychologist? Like she doesn't believe in this, mm -hmm. you know? And now it's like, I don't care. But I wonder how many people don't feel empowered, right? A lot of people we work with, a lot of our familias, yes. they're right. going, right? They're going there because this is the expert. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think and, the one thing that helped me what? not worry when I was pregnant was just like, I was just like, fuck, I'm growing a baby. Fuck you. <laughs> like, you try and tell me how much to it. Cause like, I gained, I think it was like 80 some, 80 something pounds, right? I mean, I was growing a 
human, right? And so it was like, you're supposed to keep your weight between 25 pounds. What the fuck? <laughs> they will always threaten you with preeclampsia and gestational diabetes, which gestational <laughs> diabetes is genetic. So like, yeah, I don't know what the hell I am. And the other is like miscellaneous, you know? Well, then that you feel sense. bad. I got gestational diabetes with my second one. I was like, oh, is it because I was eating too much fun? I love my fun. What's it? Was it right? Like, you just, you're getting this information. You're like, what the hell do you do with it? You don't know, right? And then that gets passed down, right? Like, I mm-hmm. remember hearing me and my siblings have different body sizes. And I remember my mom. Oh. Well, first of all, I remember learning about gestational diabetes school and thinking mom are you sure you never had it like I know you gained x amount of weight and you ate this way like how is it you have all the risk factors right you're Latina right like college Yasmin thinking that means I was like it's impossible that you didn't have it (laughs) in your three pregnancies and she's like no right it's like okay these risk factors are correlational right like just because yeah. someone's Latina or someone's gaining this weight doesn't mean they're gonna develop something. And that's not the reason, right? Like the bandulce isn't the reason, um, but it even gets passed down. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but my mom was saying, you know, I think, of course there's like, you know, I'm sure y'all could speak to this more, but like trauma that can happen to a pregnant woman getting passed down, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. She will then extend that into, well, I ate a lot of this type of food when I had this child. And so I think that's why this child tends to have this body size or XYZ. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so, mom. I think that's that, that phobia, right? And then like almost that self-blame of, oh, maybe if I would have done this, maybe if I, um, and it's like, your body was again preserving this life it was eating calorically dense foods to preserve all the energy that it requires to keep you alive and an additional unit growing um and then breastfeeding yeah yeah breastfeed for however long 18 18 months after like like, i'm so sorry that you had that experience i'm Mm-hmm. I'm so frustrated um but also like not surprised right like even if you know we on our charts right it's this dietitian or psychologist or what have you and I've found myself in situations where usually I'm like yeah I decline to be weighed I decline to like talk about xyz but still sometimes the doctor will bring up certain things and I find myself kind of stuttering mm-hmm. like I had a knee injury and one doctor asked me if I was, um, started asking me about my diet. Who knows I'm a dietitian too. Started asking, well, have you thought about like the, like, the types of meats that you're eating? Like maybe that's causing you. And I'm like, no, I did a squat and I hurt myself. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, and I'm just, it's but it's hard what I was trying to say is it's hard we have all this but even in that moment we can stumble over us as professionals in this field right I can only imagine for you know our families and friends um how hard it must be because I think you know there's things that where you don't realize how ingrained the fear is until you're going through it so I think for me 
you know, I, I knew a lot of things about pregnancy and child development because that this is what I do, right? Like this is what I've, I test, I've tested kiddos. I, I, I know the research and I found myself being really afraid of having certain foods or having certain drinks. Um, not something that I couldn't just like choose differently, but in the moment I was like, oh, I have to recognize right now that I feel fear that I might food, you know, um, maybe my, my food choices right now are very comfort, you know, very um, food that feels really good. And that maybe is not necessarily the food that I would usually eat. Um, or especially the start of my pregnancy, I could barely hold things down. So like, here I am eating crackers and Sprite because it's all I can hold down, hold down right? And I'm like, is this gonna hurt my baby? And I'm like, clearly, cognitively, I know that it's not, but there's such a fear from everything you hear. And then, you know, a lot of people's opinions about what you're eating or what you're not eating. I had a friend, a close friend who is actually in in this field. Um, I was talking about how I had a turkey sandwich and they were like, well, you know, if I was pregnant, I wouldn't want to put anything in my body that could potentially hurt my baby. And I was like, completely taken aback and you're emotional, you know, and I was devastated when they said that. And I was like, this is somebody that I know knows their research, knows this area and knows my history and felt really comfortable making that comment to me. Um, and I don't think that was their intention or even thought about it. No, but that shit is right? like- But it's like, it sticks with you. And so, now you're like, yeah, yeah. What if something had happened to my baby in that moment, right? Like, mm-hmm. what if something happened with my pregnancy? Completely unrelated. Totally unrelated to that pinched turkey. It was the egg, you know, it was a turkey sandwich that I ate. <laughs> this is what happened, you know? Same thing with coffee and all these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the, the most yeah. harmful thing we're doing is like, you know, and I, maybe y'all can speak to this of like the harms of psychologically right of like Mm -hmm. that stress that's induced with stressing about every little bite that you're bringing whether you're pregnant or not um and how that can play a significantly bigger toll on our health you know stress kills right but why aren't we talking about the stress of you know nitpicking food decisions yeah yeah diet culture it's i mean it's everywhere it is and it is so uh like you said gabby it's so it's so entrenched in who like what we internalize that like yeah your friend just made that comment didn't even like it just slipped out it just didn't even right and i know many a times i'll catch myself about certain you know certain things i'm like oh you know like just say that because then i'm like i'm as an adult developing this lens and this understanding right of fat phobia, right? And with that, how there's so many ways that it plays out in our families and our communities and society, but what we've internalized, right? Just the questioning of like, is that healthy? Is that not? Is that, you know, all of, all of those. And again, it's a journey. It's so much to unpack. It's so much to, um, you start to unlearn. But I think we see it up close in such a scary way sometimes, right? If we're thinking about the, the chronic illnesses that are here in our community, and I know that we've all had conversations around this, right? We're seeing, you know, cardiovascular problems, diabetes, 
all these diseases, right? And then we're hearing professionals constantly telling us about this obesity epidemic and how our communities are responsible for these chronic illnesses that we're developing. And then we have family members that are dying from these. So of course we're gonna be afraid. And if people are telling us, oh, it's because you ate a turkey sandwich or you went to McDonald's and had a Big Mac instead of um, something else, you, you're not making the right decisions. You're not moving your body um, you know, in this particular way. Then why wouldn't we be afraid? And I think it's wild the measures that we go through just because of the messages that we're getting at such a young age. Like Yasmin, you were saying, the messages start at the quinceanera or even before. Um, and the extent of what people go to just to look a certain way and which we have talked about, that doesn't work. I've had, so I grew up in the border, grew up in a border town. And so in the US, I know there are restrictions to like gastric bypasses and this when you can get one, but in Mexico, I'm not sure what the restrictions are there, but they're not the same. No. And so I've had family members who were in critical conditions because they went through a gastric bypass surgery because they needed to look or felt that they needed to look a certain way. And so the it's confusing because the way that we see it is that we need to look this way and be this way, eat this way to be healthy. But then we go through these extreme measures that really put our lives at risk. And that is, it's just not okay. And that we were healthier me. the other way, yeah. yeah. That reminds me that in like, you're mentioning the side effects, right? Of whether it's something, you know, extreme like bypass surgery, which is getting to be seen as less extreme lately or the teas and the detoxes and all that, but even just like the effects of oh, this is uh, just a lifestyle change, right? Like even just the effects of calorie counting and weight cycling, like we know those are contributors to things like diabetes um, and other health conditions that we're so concerned about. Um, but really the data shows us if someone's able to maintain their weight instead of losing and regaining and losing and regaining, yo-yoing intentionally, um, they're able to have better health outcomes. Um, and I think that that's, you know, there's a lot of shame around it, right? Like there's a lot of shame of carrying a diagnosis. Like I'm just using diabetes as an example again, um, of what did that person do wrong? And even like other, other family members may be commenting, oh, that's because that person always drinks Coke. That person doesn't exercise. Um, that's why we're not like them, right? But, um, really thinking, okay, why does our, why do our communities have these problems? Is it truly because of that small sliver? And yeah, there's of course room for nutrition. That's what I'm passionate about, right? I've dedicated my career to is nutrition. I think that that can play a huge role in supporting our health, our physical and our mental health. But does it really play that big of, a, of an impact on our body size? Probably not. Um, and if that five, 10% sliver of a disease risk is nutrition, why are we ignoring the 10% of the, of the pie chart, right? Why are we ignoring, you know, the weight stigma that prevents people from going back to the doctor's office? Um, like Gabby's experience, right? If Gabby wasn't so deeply entrenched in this work, um, 
that could have been, I mean, it obviously was a really terrible experience, but that could have prevented someone from returning to the doctor for the rest of their exams. Um, so examples like that, where then say diabetes goes undetected and it just compounds. Um, we talk, we can talk about food insecurity and food deserts and all the things that contribute, but it's again, these things that are in our minds, we think like, oh, humans, you know, it's all on us that like, especially in like American culture, like American dream, you have to do it yourself, hustle, build yourself up and you're in control of your destiny, you're in control of your health. The sad reality is not, you know, there's a few modifiable risk factors, right? That we can do how we decide to use tobacco or not or alcohol or not, or how we decide to take care of ourselves. But the bigger picture is we're humans and eventually we no human just like goes throughout life without getting any conditions. We all eventually unfortunately die um, and we can improve our quality of life, but we can't just like be these J-Lo's. <laughs> I'm glad that you're touching upon that because I remember seeing a lot of people like especially like, you know, people like that were hardcore into this fitness lifestyle or whatever. Okay you would see them like, you know, go hard all week and like really because we're doing this for health reasons, right? And then the weekend will come up and then you, I would see them like drink their body weight on yeah. the weekend. I'm like, so are we doing this for health? Because like, you know, I'm, I'm all for like a fun night out, whatever. But like when you're drinking like four days out of the week and you're justifying your restriction and all this, um, as if because it's it's healthy and then you're drinking your body weight that's probably not super helpful either to your system mm -hmm. um and it's, but it's allowable right it's mm -hmm. like that because drinking a shit ton is more culturally Excellent. allowable if you're if you're in a certain body you can drink all that and it doesn't right mm -hmm. you know yeah totally it's or like it's, saving your carbs to drink I yes I, I remember going through that stage I went through that stage where I did that or I would do all the low carb beers yeah, I've been through it right too um and we would yeah save <laughs> save our like not eat so that we can you can get a camera at the end of the day and then you're like really fucked up because you haven't eaten all day but then you see like see this is like super helpful because then I have to spend less money on beer because I get drunk faster and like so it all works out clearly for my health clearly my kidneys are so happy <laughs> over your health and your wallet <laughs> yeah. oh my god like, okay let's get a water burger i'm hungry <laughs> and i'm, yeah. and I'm hungover <laughs> and dehydrated because <laughs> yeah they'll have these like i mean of course right it's fun sometimes they'll do like uh oh we're gonna have this cycling class and have mimosas after or something right but there's when it's this whole culture that's built around like you have to earn your brunch yeah. or yeah. like you have to that's the other thing right like our it's bodies a hard are, one it's a hard one to break our bodies are so much smarter than that like they're not they're not that dumb like if we are like oh i'm gonna work out before this thing our bodies are going to compensate <laughs> and it's like i hear people say like i you know i love working out but i can't lose weight because I just get more hungry when I work out I'm like interesting mm -hmm. it's almost like your body needs more 
food, the more active you are. Your butt, and it might not be that day, right? It might not be. Mm-hmm. Eventually, your body will maintain that equilibrium. Mm-hmm. Um, That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It's totally. It's such a mind game. It's so. so it's so psychological, right? It's my game, um, and it is. I think uh, we've talked about in this podcast, like our journeys of unlearning, right? It is, it's unlearning like all these messages that you've gotten and how you've internalized them. Um, I'm wondering if you, you can talk, you can talk a little bit more about food insecurity and food deserts and, and how, because I think you're, what we're talking here is the very complex picture for why things like diabetes and um, high blood pressure, right? All of our chronic illnesses that show up in our, our communities, especially, right? Because I'll hear that a lot is like, yeah, but, um, you know, we're Latinos and we're already at risk for this. And then we have to like even go more extreme because we have a bunch moving, you know, building up against us. Um, and so um, for me growing up in poverty, right? Like I, I saw what a food desert was. I saw what food insecurity looks like. And so I think like that is a real picture for our communities and that that's not spoken about, right? Spoke, let's talk about all these crazy ass diets and all the other things, but not these complex systems, which have essentially locked out our communities from nutritious food, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up. It's like the stats we're seeing now, right, on um, why Black folks have such a high risk of, you know, issues with COVID. Um, is it because of, is it because they're Black? No, right? It's because there's all these, like, racist um, issues in healthcare and preventing them to have access to healthcare. Um, and we see the same in our communities, too, right, with access to um to healthcare, but also access to food deserts like you're saying and how food insecurity can bring up that unintentional restriction and the unintentional um overconsumption because again your body's saying well i have this food right and i better eat as much as i can because who knows the next time i might have food and that can then get passed on generationally right like even if say my mom grew up with extreme food insecurity and I, you know, didn't at certain times in my life, but I'm able to still grow up and, and be modeled, right? She's a model of the way she eats um, is the way that I pick up on eating and then so on and so on. So it becomes generational um, in the way that food insecurity affects our like consumption patterns. But even beyond that, um, you know, food deserts, um, I know y'all are familiar, but for those listening, just there's areas of, you know, even in Austin, I was shocked when I moved to Austin and, and learned that, that I was going to be serving food deserts. I was like, what do you mean? There's HEPs on every corner, but there's absolutely communities where they only have gas stations and Dollar Trees and Dollar Generals for snacks um, and quote unquote food. Um if your only options, if you don't have transportation, you go to a grocery store further away, the only thing near you is food from the dollar store or the gas station, um, it's very likely that you're not gonna be able to make these, even if you wanted to, right? To follow these nutrition guidelines. Um, and you might not have, even if you are nearby one, you might not have the funds for that. Um, again, because of the issues that our community already faces, because of all the, um, the barriers that, that our community faces. So is it 
really, oh, is it in my genes and my DNA that I'm more likely to get diabetes? No, it's, it's our communities as a whole are, are, are going through this because of the historical trauma and racism that our communities have experienced, preventing us from getting adequate nourishment, adequate healthcare, um, and maybe even having like the time and energy to, to pursue those, you know? Um, yeah, the ability, right? When you're poor, right? And, and you're, you're, you have to make the choice between literally going to a doctor's appointment and working to put food on the table for your children. There's no question what most mamas will do, right? Um, and so, the, yeah, the, I think that is a picture. I think it's really important for, for us to keep at the forefront and understand, right? When we are hearing these statistics and these things about our communities, like, um, there's a huge, big picture for why things show up the way they do. And it usually boils down to racism and colonization. Yeah. Tell those earrings, yeah. girl. <laughs> 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 yes, Neve, you haven't talked more or too much about yourself. So tell us what got you into this field. Tell us about you, your background, all the things. We heard about your quinceanera. I'm excited. I want to see that picture. Oh my gosh, I had a big puffy green dress from Mexico. <laughs> that was my dream. <laughs> yes. Um, so I'm originally from Dallas, suburb, um, Plano. And I went to school at the University of Missouri, which was super random. And I was definitely the only Latina in all of my classes. Um, I am also half Arab. So um, my mom's Mexican, my dad's Arab. So that makes all family parties really fun and delicious. Um, I think what else. And then I moved to Austin almost three years ago um, after working in Dallas for a couple of years. I was working in corporate wellness setting that um, I thought I wanted to work clinical um, when I graduated almost five years ago. And uh, I just decided, hey, I'm just gonna take this job in Dallas. You know, I wanna do some more outpatient counseling and it ended up being um, very obviously with corporate wellness, usually companies want folks to lose weight. So that's where I ended up. And I was like, okay, that's fine. This is what they taught us in school. I know this is the easiest thing in nutrition, right? Oh, well. <laughs> um, so I did mostly weight loss counseling for about a year and a half, close to two years. And um, that's actually where I was introduced to intuitive eating and um, help at every size was from the dietitians who were one by one, you know, just dropping like flies. <laughs> um, from there. And yeah, you know, I had a, I had a dietitian before she left for private practice. She left me a little sticky note on my desk with just as a reminder, the name of the book. And I was like, okay, I'll read that. Um, because I was like, all these clients have emotional eating problems and I'm trying to help them lose weight, but I'm not really good with I don't know how to help them with that. We don't like that in school. So that's a little bit about my backstory and how I ended up quitting that job and quitting weight loss counseling. And I have so much shame for all the harm that I, you know, caused. Um, but it was definitely a learning experience, a lot of unlearning. And I remember sitting down one summer at the pool and just reading that book and thinking, wow, 
what am I doing? You know, I need to, to change and it all kind of clicked. Um, so I think that's a really great example of how like, you know, the system can really change within, right? Different dietitians educating each other. Um, and we sit and talk and be like, I don't know how to do this. And then we try to weave in intuitive eating and it just wasn't working. We were just like, can't, it doesn't fit. Um, and then- Can you talk a little bit about oh, intuitive eating once you're done? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, I then moved to Austin for a job in mental health, which is where I still work now, um, as well as with Earthly Bear. Um, and I remember telling him in the interview, <laughs> um, if if they asked, they asked me, would you be willing to change your, your philosophy if it didn't align with, uh, with our agency? And I said, no. <laughs> and that's why I ended up getting the job, because I didn't know. At that point, I was fed up with everyone. And <laughs> Yeah. I said, no, I really don't think I can do anything. And that was actually a trick question. So intuitive eating essentially is, um, good question. Um, I would just explain it as coming back to like your roots of understanding how your body is telling you it needs to be fed and nourished. Um, that includes, of course, things like our hunger, our fullness, how we feel about movement, um, our satisfaction around food, which we talked about in the beginning, but also just fully rejecting that diet mentality. Um, and those are kind of the foundations. Um, and a bunch of, so there's 10 principles. And if y'all want to look into it, it's um, super helpful. I don't know if, if Gabby, there's anything else you would add. I mean, I think it was a beautiful definition that you said coming back to, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is our natural state. And, you know, as we grow older, um, we get disconnected from our bodies. Sometimes things happen where our bodies are not, not safe, a safe place. Right. And so uh, we disconnect in different ways. And with intuitive eating, we're coming back home. We're able to connect with what we need and honor that. Um, I'm very glad that that's the way you do. It's very, um, cool. it's very, for me, it's very cool. Someone who's not in this area, it's like very cultural in that way in terms of like you have um, folks that are like trying to decolonize the way we eat, right? So thinking of ways that our um, ancestors used to cook, right? Or, and it's more, from my understanding, you guys know more than I do for sure. But the way I've understood it, it's more like um, the way capitalism is and the way for like what we we're just talking about food insecurities and um, uh, like what your options are in poverty. Like we had like um, Taco Bell, McDonald's, um, Burger King, like right, like in that we could walk to and get, but like, and we were steered away from like Sole and like our comida from our familia, right? That we that were so nutritional caldo, right? Like, and so like that is, um, decolonizing movement is around like connecting with um, reconnecting with recipes and um, the food from our ancestors, right? And that when you said that, like coming back home, it reminded me of of that piece of like, coming back home. So I, at the beginning of COVID, that was one of the things I did was like I was looking up. I can do, um, my mom, my mom didn't cook at home because she had to work. And so we were left at our own. So I didn't, wasn't raised with learning how to cook and doing like traditional recipes. So I started learning like 
just caldos and pozoles and, you know, I can do my arroz now, frijoles, and she does cook some minas frijoles. Um, tortillas, I had a whole night where I just drank wine and tried to make tortilla, you know, just like as a way to reconnect, right, with um, our own recetas. Calabaza, which Gabby hates. Oh my God. What? Like yeah, I make some good calabaza. I make it's so, so good. Much. No, I was gonna take some, and she was like, "Do not bring me calabaza." No, I cannot even smell it. Like I can't. I can't. I can't. I do have a funny story about it. My parents decided to plant. I don't know why. You know what I want? Where I'm from? They decided to plant calabazas, right? And so then we had boxes upon boxes of calabazas in our house. So my mom made it with everything. Calabaza cream, calabaza con elote, calabaza, uh, uh, you know, and so it was to a point that I was like, I cannot, like, I just, I, I can't, I don't like the texture, I just I can't, and so to this day, after that, neither me or my brother can see the calabazas, like, the Mexican calabazas, mm -hmm. we just, yeah, and I make some, I make some, I found, I make some, I perfected my calabaza, that is the one thing, that's so funny, <laughs> My mom also did not cook because she would work. And so when she would make calabaza with pollo and, and elote, I was, I was like, yes, this is a home cooked meal today. So to me, it's like a, it's calabaza is like a special, special. Well, I'll make you some calabaza, Karen. Next time I make some, you can come take, I'll, I'll drop some off to you. That's so nice, Josie. Yes. Always make them in big old batches. For some reason, I can't figure out how to make it like. <laughs> Like big old batches of calabazas. Yeah, make you some. But I, you made me think of um, also, for example, when I moved to the States, one of the hardest things was getting used to the food here. Mm -hmm. um, and so I felt like, um, I mean, I was in Arizona for a while, so I feel like I didn't have to come part of it. Yeah, what part of the food was, was hard to get it? Well, it doesn't taste the same here. They just, mm -hmm. the fruits, the vegetables, they don't taste the same here. And mm -hmm. the tortillas are not the same, right? Like, it's not like we have a tortilla where you can just go and buy it. Mm -hmm. The meat, um, it tastes different, right? And so mm -hmm. um, it, I felt like I was always chasing the flavor of home. And I just I couldn't hit it. So I started eating differently. And also, as you know, I'm married to um, a white guy. And his flavors and his cooking is very different <laughs> than mine. So... I started eating a little bit more what was not considered weird. You know, the, I think the first year I wanted to just, just merge, just not cause anybody's attention. And cooking and spicy Mexican food where the, you know, kitchen is smoky and the alarms go off. Doesn't yeah. make you go Coughing like crazy. <laughs> right. That doesn't make you go notice. So. Windows open, doors open, everything. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we stopped I stopped cooking um I stopped making any meals that were like home and then I moved to Ohio and that was really hard to get food that was yeah, Ohio, no, you okay. know so and then I come to Texas and there's a lot more options but it's taking me a while to get comfortable again with this is you know I can get used to I remember my mom and my dad used to bring me food because I lived in Phoenix which is five hours away from my hometown <clears throat> and they, they used to bring me all the ingredients and all the things so I never had to go to the store and get had all my things there but <laughs> once I moved to Ohio that ended um no. so 
that's that was a, a really big transition period um and yeah. so i think that, um you know as people are getting used to being here connecting with having that sense of community i think can be a big part of where to find the right things the good tortillas the meat you know the ingredients uh so you can keep a, yeah i have a story so my boys right are seven and five and um, we have right around the corner the most like legit, you know, Tex-Mex taqueria, right? It's like, you know, we have a couple options. This is really good. A guy in La Posada down the street is really good. Um, Noted. <laughs> so they have like homemade tortillas. Like, you know, it's like Tex-Mex, right? It's not quite, Gabby, it's not your hometown, but it's... <laughs> And so um, my boy, so we get our breakfast tacos from breakfast tacos. Da, 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 right? I'm driving in the school and I pass uh, one of the mainstream right ones here. One of the gringo restaurants. It's been like tacos here in Austin. We have a lot of those. We all know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> we know what. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're just. I'm like, okay, my host. We're like, we're any late. I think Robert was traveling. I was like, I'm gonna get let's vamos. We're gonna pick up. My mama comprar breakfast tacos on the way to school, right? And then they see me pulling up to this restaurant and they're like, no, no, we hate these tacos. We hate these tacos. They're not even good tortillas. Dude, I had already, I had already ordered them. So I had to go buy them. I had to, they refused to eat these tacos. So that makes me feel proud that they're like, all right. <laughs> They know their palate is already like making the difference, right? Between or just the more traditional tacos. I will say the first time that I they invited me to tacos, it was the hard shell tacos the, with beef. Oh yeah. And so this was me like three weeks into being here in the states, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna have taco night." Here I am, my innocent self being like, "Amazing, you know, find my people." <laughs> and then I. I mean, it was a really sweet thing that they were doing for me. And I just had this face of like, what the what fuck the is this? Like, I've never <laughs> seen a folded hard tortilla in my life. I was like, are this like fried taco? Like, what the hell is this? And I ate them and I was very confused. And I was like, so I don't even know what I ate. Like, I was so <laughs> confused about this dish. And I couldn't comment with anybody because it felt really rude. But um, it was until later that my husband is like, oh, let me explain some things to you here. Um, and I was well, like, and then my, like my, we grew up in tacos, right? So then my, we go to Panama because we grew up in, in, here in Texas. And then in Panama, they don't have tacos the way we have tacos, right? So we're like, my little sister, the first time I took her, she's like, um, I took a bean and cheese. I'm like, chica, there ain't, we ain't in Texas anymore. <laughs> what are you doing? And they come, you tell them tortilla and it's like, it's not even the tortilla, like it's the puro masa, right? It's like corn, it's like this is yellow, bright yellow, and they put shit on top of it. Like it's just totally, it's Caribbean food. Yeah. Totally different. Yeah. But it's like a whole different palette, like it's just a whole different thing. But growing up here, we grew up, you know, Tex Mex, and so we're all, um, tacos, por favor. And then we're like, what the hell? <laughs> Oh but there are some good food trucks here yeah. i will say yeah there's some good food trucks there's some good i have a i found a pupusa place across mm -hmm. the around the corner Ooh, legit good pupusas so good yes arepas i have someone who would deliver arepas to your house they're amazing yeah. you know who this person is 
I will Did highlight you know their friends. Oh, we should shout out them. El Chilandro, I think, is the restaurant. Chilandro here in Austin, and they do um, Venezuelan food. He's Venezuelan, Venezolano, and he and he's a chef. And they'll do. You can order. You can look up their menu. We'll shout out them and put them in the notes. Mm -hmm. He's amazing. It's not the Chilandro. The the no 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 not the Chilandro. Sorry, sorry. I was like, <laughs> like, I was like what? <laughs> I know because aren't they supposed to be like a Tex-Mex Asian fusion? That was I was confused. Hector, his name's Hector Martos, and he's Celandro. Maybe. Okay. We'll get it right and we'll put it in there, but so good. If you're in, in Austin, he's a chef desde Venezuela and he will, yeah, Cilantro Kitchen. Um, and, and you can follow him on Instagram, hdmartosm. It's so and good, y'all. I'm telling you. He will drop off the arepas, a full tray mm -hmm. at your house. And, so the, and they have like the meat. So the packages that he sells, they have meats. He can pick mm -hmm. It's so good. And then he does paellas también. The paellas are good. Y'all también have them. They're so good. I am so hungry. Good. <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. So <laughs> anything else about yourself you want to share with us? I don't think so. I... I'm trying to think. COVID has turned me into a different person. Usually I'm like out and about, traveling, being out, doing things with people all day, but I'm trying to train myself to be more introverted, which is impossible. But I've been just baking, reading books, cooking, and uh, do a little at-home yoga videos and stuff. How's your knee? Is your knee doing better? Um. Yes and no. Hmm. And my, it's like my other knee will start hurting. So my, my bad knees are good knee now and it's switched. They're all good knees, but they're just, um, it's like this, the silliest of, of motions is what will aggravate it. So I'm going to get some new shoes and some new insoles. I think that'll help. Um, Cause I guess it's been, I was like, I got these at the start of COVID, but that's been six plus then, months. Yeah. Yeah. So, I think that's what it's hard Yeah. 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 I'm, um, that's me. Well, thanks for, if you don't yeah. follow Jasmine on Instagram, please do. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm a delicious recipe so you can live. Just, it gives you life. Oh, so. what is your handle? <laughs> You know, it's funny because people usually say that I like the food I make like tastes good, but it doesn't look good. <laughs> They're like on Instagram. It looks good to me, so it looks really good. What's uh, your, um, what's your tender? I don't think I follow you. Sorry, I've go made food that looked really good and didn't taste <laughs> as good as it looked. So I'd rather have it taste good. Yeah, I'm like, listen, I'm trying to like cook and like eat. I'm not trying to like plate the meal. Um, it's nourish and the letter N flourish. So it's like nourish and okay. flourish. Um, nourish and flourish. I used to host a lot more like recipes and food, but then um, oh, and I did um, that, but now I just kind of post whatever my heart's feeling <laughs> because yeah, life's too short to just look at what someone else is eating all day. <laughs> so. 
<laughs> try to find a good balance and, and throw some other um, some other things in there. Kind of like what we talked about today, really. That's um, yeah. that's really my Instagram. Which I realize we um, probably should do another recording on um, closer to the holidays. <laughs> I think we didn't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're closer there. So this one will air sooner. Um, so, all right, y'all. This was good. This was good. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So much for joining us. Um, this was a lot of fun to have you here. Um, and for everybody that is listening, thank you for joining us for this combo on eating disorders, disorder eating, food, nutrition. Latina and uh, just food in general. So have a great night and um, we'll see you next time.